So today's passage is Mark chapter 15. We will be going through the first 15 verses. Uh, In your worship guide, please write down next week's passage. Uh, Next week we will be covering Mark 15 verses 16 through 33. Please read that this week a few times. Read it with your family. Read it with your spouse. Read it on your own. And uh, come next week being familiar with some things and be ready to share some things that God has shown you from His Word. So, chapter 15, 16 through 33 is next week. And verses 1 through 15 is this week. It's page 945 if you're using one of the Blue Bibles. You know So, Jesus is in a heap of trouble. And uh, this is not a new development this week. This is something that Jesus knew was coming. Two or three years before Mark chapter 15, they were trying to harm Him, and Jesus would just escape, and He would tell His disciples, My time has not yet come. Well, now here in Mark 15, His time has come. His time has come. In the last two weeks, we've looked at what took place overnight, Thursday night, and in the wee early hours of Friday morning. This is three days before Easter Sunday. And Jesus was up, most likely all night, and the religious leaders have brought a charge against him. They don't like what he's up to. They don't like his plan. They don't like how people are following him. They don't like what he teaches. They don't like how he stands up for truth and how he, when he sees something wrong, he does something about it. People don't like that today. People didn't like it then. But the religious leaders of the day are ready to be done with Jesus so they can get back to status quo and business as usual. And they have a charge against him, and that charge is blasphemy because he has claimed to be the Christ. The Christ is, is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And it means the anointed one. It means one specially chosen by God. One with a special mission, a special commissioning from God. And obviously he's about to lay his life down for the sin of the world. Because his father sent him. It's the greatest mission that anyone has ever taken on. And it's the most important thing that's ever been, happened in the history of mankind. And so the charge against Jesus is that he has claimed to be the Christ or the Messiah. And the religious leaders don't like it. In our passage today, the trial continues. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ray told us what happened in the high priest's house overnight. They began to mock him. They began to beat him. They were lying about him and against him and bringing all kinds of false accusations, trying to come up with something that would stick to get him in trouble. But the high priests and the group of priests he works with, which are called the Sanhedrin, they don't have the authority to put someone to death. But there is someone in town who does. And in today's passage, they go to him seeking his approval, seeking their governor's, uh, asking of their governor to put this Jesus to death. 
So let's begin reading chapter 15. I'll read verse 1 through 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What I'd like you to do is take a few minutes, meditate on this passage, draw some observations, ask yourself what does the passage say, ask yourself what it means, ask yourself what you can do in response, and try to figure out if there's anyone in your life that needs to hear something from this passage. Is there any good news that you can share with someone in your life? So meditate on this a bit, and when the time is right, your discussion leader will begin. Okay, everyone. We're just scratching the surface, okay? We're just scratching the surface, and I'll speak for 25 or 30 minutes, but please know that there is enough here that we could talk about this for hours, and hours, and hours. Let's look at verse 1. As soon as it was morning, what time of day was this? Alright, so for the next three weeks, we're looking at what happens from Friday morning to Friday evening. Okay, so we're on Friday. We were, in, we were on Tuesday for 10 or 11 weeks. Friday has three days, three, three weeks for us. Pretty much all of chapter 15. So as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council... And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So they already had one meeting at night. But for this group referred to as the Sanhedrin and other places in Scripture, they couldn't make a decision like this without having everybody together. So it kind of sounds like some of the insiders who had it out for Jesus did, did the dirty work in the middle of the night at the high priest's house. And now they officially have to bring everyone together. It says the whole council to just kind of take that last vote at the business <laughs> meeting. So that they can say, we're all going to be responsible for this. This is what we want to do. So they bound Jesus. 
So Jesus is tied up, chained up, restrained in some form. And they lead him away and delivered him over to Pilate. See, this religious council did not have the authority under Roman rule because Jerusalem was part of the Roman Empire during this time. They did not have the authority to sentence someone to death. Capital punishment was not an option for them. And so they have to go to the Roman governor. His name is Pilate. I always thought he flew an airplane when I was a kid, but that's not how it's spelled. P-I-L-A-T-E. They didn't have airplanes back then. Those have only been around for about 115 years. So we've got Pilate. He's the Roman governor. And he is a politician. Some of you like politicians, some of you don't. We all have opinions about politicians. It is my opinion that this is not Bible. It is my opinion that this politician is like many politicians of our day today. So they deli- the religious leaders deliver Jesus over to Pilate. They need Pilate's help. They, they need him to do something. Verse 2, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. There's a lot about this meeting with Pilate in all four Gospels. Actually, Matthew records more than Mark, Luke records more than Mark, and John records more than all of them. But if you look at the other Gospel writers and kind of put the story together from all four perspectives, we have a list of three accusations that these religious leaders bring against Jesus. They say, we have found this man misleading our nation. Number two, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Now, if you remember a message that Brother Chuck preached three or four months ago, you know that's not true. And then verse, uh, or then the third reason, the third accusation they bring against him is that he himself is Christ, a king. Christ being Messiah or anointed one. And with that title also comes kingship. Now, when there's a king or an emperor within an empire, is he usually okay with having another king or another emperor? If you know the least little bit about history, we fight and kill millions of people when two kings show up into the same place. And these three accusations are brought against Jesus to Pilate. But Pilate is concerned about him being a king. He doesn't care about the other stuff, most likely. But he, he, he has this question. Are you the king of the Jews? Now, let, let's stop for a moment before we go too far with that. These religious leaders are phony balonies. They, they are crooks. They are corrupt. It, it is not about them, or it's not about God. It's about them. And we have that same thing going on today, just like we have crooked politicians. But I wonder, how does Pilate, a Gentile, a man far from God, who desperately needs God, how does Pilate feel about these phonies? 
What is he thinking about them? Pilate's a smart man. There's a reason he's in power where he is. There's even some admirable qualities to Pilate that we see in the Bible. But these guys are big, fat liars. I wonder sometimes how the leaders in our community look at the church and any established religious institution or organization, and I wonder if they think we're a joke. Sometimes we act like we're a joke. Many times they have reason to not take us seriously. But Pilate, as he was dealing with the Sanhedrin, he takes interest in this charge that, hey, he's a king. He claims to be the king. And he asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Our translation, at least the ESV, says, you have said so. You all know how I feel about translations. There's not a perfect one out there. Some of them are better than others. But from time to time, we just have to say, there's not really a great way to translate this from Greek to English. A better way to translate this from what I can gather, it's kind of like, that's right, Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? You said it. You get it. That's exactly what I'm telling you. So Jesus fully agreed with that. One of the reasons I know this is when you look at John or John's gospel, uh, Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is claiming to be king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. We get to verse 4. Um, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. Jesus did answer Pilate. Jesus said, you said it. But they're bringing all these other charges. And Pilate is just like, you going to do anything? I mean, I mean I, I'm guessing Roman governor, he's in charge of trials. He actually handled all this stuff. It was his morning business after he got done with his coffee. He handled the, the, the trials and the accusations of the day. And go ahead and get the hard part of the day out of the way before he went on to his other business. But Pilate asked him, are, are you concerned at all about all these other things that they're saying about you? Verse 5, Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Jesus is different. He's not the common crook. He's not the common criminal. He's not the common revolutionary. And we did have revolutionaries in there. One of Jesus' 12 disciples was Simon. He was known as a zealot. They were revolutionaries. In verse 6 and 7, we're going to be introduced to another revolutionary. Okay, Pilate's used to these people coming before him and pleading with him because he, he had power to determine what was going to happen to people. But he stands amazed at Jesus. As was said in our discussion, Jesus knew that the time had come. And Jesus was going to do what he was sent to do. In Isaiah 53, and we'll be in Isaiah 53 a lot before we're done today. Verse 7, it was prophesied over 700 years before this happened that he would be oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We get to verse 6. Now at the feast, this is... 
the beginning of the Passover celebration, which we've covered fairly extensively over the last month or two. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? Read that again. What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. One question I have that I don't have an answer for is where did this crazy tradition get started at? Okay, it's like the Jewish nation's most holy festival, most celebrated event of the entire year as they look back to deliverance from Egypt. But yet it's normal for the Roman governor to release a prisoner. I want to know where that came from. If you know, tell me later. Um, where did that come from? And there's a prisoner named Barabbas. It says he was guilty of murder in the insurrection. He's a revolutionary. There were multiple Jewish revolutions, very much like the one that started our nation in the 1770s and 80s. There were multiple revolutions against the empire of Rome. And the Roman military was the greatest and mightiest military machine that had ever been known in the known world at that time. And they would squash these revolutions quick. Well, we've got Barabbas... He's a murderer. He's a rebel. And the people, actually, oh, uh, the chief priests, verse 11, stirred up the crowd so that Pilate would release Barabbas. When I look at John's gospel and how he tells the story, I think that Pilate was trying to get them to release Jesus. It becomes very clear that Pilate found no fault in Jesus. But as verse 15 tells us, he had to satisfy the crowd. And we know that politicians have to keep people satisfied. And Pilate goes along. Let's compare Barabbas... And Jesus. Look at Barabbas' name. Bar. Okay, sometimes you come across a name started with that in the Bible. Bar means son of. Then Abbas. Look at Abba. A few weeks ago, Joe took us through the passage, prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane, and we saw 
him pray, Abba, Father. Barabbas' name is Son of the Father. Jesus is also being presented to the crowd, and he is the true Son. He is the Son of God. Mark 1.1, which we covered January of last year, says the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the true Son. We've got Barabbas, who is not the true Son, but yet he has his name. So they're similar in that regards. Another way that Barabbas and Jesus are similar is that they were both fighters. I love that. Jesus is not a wimp. For most of us in the life of the church and just our religious experience growing up, especially if you're here locally, you hear the people talk about Jesus in church and he comes across as a wimp. He is not a wimp. He is a conquering king. And he fights. And there will be a day when all evil will be completely put away forever. For all eternity. He's fighting now. We're going to see it more clearly in the future. But both Barabbas and Jesus are fighters. But they fight very differently. Barabbas' view of the world is horizontal. He's, He's just looking around at the politics of the day and... Things like that. And those things are important. Okay, it's okay to be involved in politics. Don't hear me say opposite of that. But Jesus' emphasis, when he looks, it's not temporal, and it's not horizontal, but it's vertical, and it's eternal. And because of that vertical and eternal outlook, he's able to look around at the world And he can fight evil. Barabbas was a political revolutionary, but Jesus was a spiritual revolutionary. He was a king who conquers sin. He was not a king who came to conquer Rome. Rome was not their problem, but sin was their problem. And very few people in Jesus' day understood that. And I would guess probably that the disciples didn't even realize that until after they received the Holy Spirit after Jesus went back up to the Father. So, Barabbas wanted political freedom. Jesus came to offer spiritual freedom. And the people were good with Barabbas. They went along with what the chief priests wanted, and they said they told Pilate to crucify Jesus. And they wanted the revolutionary, and I see that, and I can't help but think that so often we want the wrong Savior. We look at our problems today, and we say, if I just had a bit more money, everything would be all right. We say that if I was just treated better at that job, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. We say that if I had a different governor or a different president a different job, a different this, a different that, that everything would be better. And I tell you, no, that's not true. If it was, you would just find something else to have a problem with. We are, for the most part, a discontent people. Okay, Barabbas is not going to save you, but Jesus will. So we get to Pilate. I think Pilate 
was discerning. We see this in verse 10. Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. What is envy? Envy is closely associated with jealousy. But I believe it goes beyond jealousy. And we must be careful. Because envy can exist in the church. I promise you, it's here. It's in my soul at times. And it's in yours. Do you look at someone and say, if I just had what they had, it would be all right. These religious leaders had the Jewish people in their grip. They had manipulated them. They had created a social and religious system to where that, that caused the common people to look up to them and it exalted them. Well, if you remember what Jesus said, he who wants to be exalted is going to be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay? Jesus was showing people the true way to God and that was not what the religious leaders were teaching. So the, the movement of the religious leaders was losing momentum. And they did not like what had been taking place. They were envious of Jesus and Pilate sees how clear that is. So... We get into verses 12, 13, 14. And Barabbas is released. But then Pilate wants to know what to do with Jesus. And the people cry out, crucify him. In Luke 23, 4, Pilate says to the chief priests and the crowd... I find no guilt in this man. I find no guilt in this man. It's like the Gentile Roman governor is saying, he's sinless. He's perfect. He's innocent. He's pure. He's holy. He's not a criminal. Don't treat him like one. And even though Pilate had the authority to stop this and squash this, he doesn't. Commentator Danny Aiken says this, The true Son of the Father, sinless and innocent, will be beaten and crucified. The other Son of the Father, Barabbas, sinful and guilty, will be set free because Jesus became his substitute. The sovereign providence and plan of God could not be more clearly on display. Aiken goes on to say that Jesus was innocent but declared to be guilty. Barabbas was guilty, but was treated as though he were innocent. Jesus died in his place. He also died in our place. That in an amazing reversal, we might truly become sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Theologians call this idea substitutionary atonement. We studied the Day of Atonement back in January. Atonement has to do with payment. A substitute paid the price. 
that we should have paid. And we get to verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Jesus has already been suffering. But the intensity of his suffering increases more than I can say with the words in my head right now. Pilate had Jesus scourged. If you remember, if you saw, if you were alive at the time of Passion of the Christ, I think Mel Gibson did a pretty good job of putting this scene together where there's a metal, a stone pillar three or four feet high and Jesus' hands are tied to the top. He's got a cloth wrapped around his midsection, barely hanging on him. And I believe there were two Roman guards, might have been three, who whipped him. It's one of the bloodiest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. From what I've gathered over the years, thinking about that scene, I think it was pretty accurate. Commentator William Lane describes a Roman scourging this way. He says, A Roman scourging was a terrifying punishment. The delinquent was stripped, bound to a post or pillar, or sometimes simply thrown to the ground, and was beaten by a number of guards until his flesh hung in bleeding shreds. The instrument indicated by Mark's gospel, the dreaded, what they call a flagellum, was a scourge consisting of leather thongs plated with several pieces of bone or lead so as to form a chain. I'm very much intentionally being gruesome. And it's getting ready to get worse. No maximum number of strokes was prescribed by Roman law. And men condemned to flagellation frequently collapsed and died from the flogging. Josephus records that he himself had some of his opponents in Galilee scourged until their entrails were visible. While the procurator, Albinus, had the prophet Jesus bar Hanan scourged until his bones lay visible. Jesus did this for us. And this is only middle of the morning, people. We're not done yet. Isaiah 52, 14. Isaiah prophesies, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance as his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Isaiah prophesies hundreds of years before. He's not even going to look like a person. His sufferings are going to be so bad. Many of you know who Lee Strobel is. In his book, Case for Christ, he interviews Dr. Alexander Metherell. And Dr. Metherell describes what would have happened to Jesus' body in the midst of this incredible blood loss. Jesus 
would have, and, and, and there's details in the scripture that, that prove this. Jesus suffered what we today call hypovolemic shock. Did I say that right, Tina? Hypovolemic means low blood volume or blood loss. And when our body loses blood like Jesus was losing blood, our heart races to try to pump blood that is not there. Our blood pressure drops because the blood is not there. This leads often to fainting and collapse. Our kidneys stop producing what they produce to maintain what volume is left. And the person becomes very thirsty. I'm going to read Isaiah 53 from verse 3 to verse 12. Turn there if you want to. Isaiah 53. This is surely the plan of God. Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 3. This is surely what Jesus is suffering. is the plan of a sovereign God who is going after a people who rebelled from Him, against Him. This is the only way to God that payment would be made for sin. That someone perfect righteous and without blemish must have their blood shed so that sin can be forgiven. This is the plan of God over seven, written over 700 years before Jesus went through this. Isaiah 53.3 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit. In his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. 
The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.